0: The Boss Barista podcast takeover is brought to you by Chobani. Chobani's mission is making better food for more people, and they've brought that mission to non dairy by crafting the ultimate oat milk for food service Chobani Oat Barista Edition. It's plant based, gluten free, non GMO, and vegan friendly. Their formula was crafted for superior performance and versatility. Whether adding to black coffee or creating the perfect microphone, Chobani Oat Barista Edition will satisfy your cafe needs and delight your customers. Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Welcome to the Boss Barista Takeover, A few weeks ago, I put a call out to coffee folks, fans, and drinkers across the globe to pitch ideas about the podcast they've been dreaming of making. And today we're turning the mic over to the fourth in our series of guest creators. This episode is a little bit different than what you've heard so far. Sebastian Diacono is a country manager for La Torre and Dutch, an international coffee trading and exporting company. He's based in Colombia and his job is to act as a liaison between people who want to buy coffee and people who grow coffee. He acts as a bridge between the two, understanding and synthesizing the needs of both. When I mentioned this project on Twitter, he immediately messaged me, saying he'd like to help me tell the stories of coffee producers in Colombia. What we decided to do was interview two coffee producers and ask them questions about the side of coffee growing that's often not talked about. The struggle of selling coffee, the power dynamics between buyers and sellers, and the volatility of the coffee market. The farmers, named Diego Garcia and Alejandra Hoyos, were given a set of questions and then recorded their responses as voice memos. Their responses were in Spanish, and Sebastián and I then listened to the audio, and he broke down their answers for me. Sebastián and I talked for almost two hours, so we decided to present this episode in two parts. In the first episode, we talked to Dero, who owns his own farm in Colombia. Sebastián and I will set up the premise of this episode, and then you'll hear responses from Dero, which Sebastián translates and then gives further insights on. Episode two, which is out right now and you can listen to immediately after this episode, does the same, but with Alejandra, a producer who's part of a women's cooperative in Huila in southern Colombia. I can't stress how much I learned in these two episodes. Anybody who buys coffee should tune in. And as I record this introduction, there are demonstrations in Colombia to protest corruption and inequality that's been exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. So I hope this encourages anybody who buys coffee from Colombia to think critically about their purchasing decisions and buying power, and how they can listen better to farmers. Here's part one with Sebastián and Dero. Sebastián, I was hoping you could start by introducing yourself.
1: Hi, Ashley. Uh, yeah, my name is Sebastian. I am from Colombia. I am from the region of Huila, which is very famous for coffee growing. Um, right now, I am the country manager for La Torren Dutch Coffee Traders, an Australian company that trades coffee from a lot of regions in the world. And um, yeah. I am here right now in Colombia. I am at the farm of La Torrenda. She's called La Maria. Um, yeah, um, I think I I am here to give an overview of how is the like the coffee growing side in this industry and give like maybe the insights that the farmers here think about the specialty coffee. And also as a buyer what what do what do I I I search here in a region when, when I'm getting coffees and um, yeah I think that's that's the idea of me being here and I'm really excited to be part of it.
0: I'm excited for you to be part of this too and I think having a little bit of background about how we got connected would be Helpful. So a couple of weeks ago, I asked people to make different pitches or different or share different ideas about podcast episodes that they would want to see. And you pretty much, you know, as far as you can do on Twitter, raised your hand and were like, I can help you tell stories Uh from Columbia. Let's do that. And Uh, you did. You totally delivered. Uh, We've been talking for a couple, couple of weeks back and forth. And I was wondering what what drove you to want to reach out or want to share stories about farmers in Colombia? What were you, mi- what were you not seeing that you were like, this story needs to be told?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I am pretty act- active on Twitter, but active, like most, mostly like reading and <laughs> not tweeting. And um, yeah, I have been working in coffee for four years. Um, I have been working with more than 200 growers, mostly in Huila, and I have seen and learned a lot of things with them, uh, and also I have been in the other part of the chain, that is to sell the coffee, uh, to talk with roasters. so I am lucky to be in like in these two parts, so When you wrote that on Twitter, I said like, hey, I can give you maybe what the farmers think. I was a farmer too. My family is a farmer too, a coffee grower too. So I know a little bit on what is not tell maybe in the industry, the insight of the small grower, you know, because everything is really pretty on social media. But I think I can give uh, a better insight on how are the things done here in a region in, well, right now in from Colombia.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things that we talked about the first couple of times we spoke was the discrepancy between what people see when they see a coffee farm, the pictures or the stories that roasters tell versus what actually happens to you, the emails you get, the requests you get, the things that people say to you about how little they want to pay. The first time we spoke, it was actually pretty, it was a pretty, not eye-opening because I think that a lot of people probably have some context that what we see isn't always what we get. But you were pretty straightforward about all of the questions that you get that are pretty... N- yeah. Disrespectful in a way.
1: Yeah, you know, like I think in, in every industry you have good customers and not so good customers, you know? And um, eh, for example, right now at La we have a, a lot of customer roasters around the world and we're lucky enough that they they share our same goal. Uh, that is to pay farmers uh, a fair price and not only that that me being here in the region is to listen to the farmers and say, hey not only the price a fair price but what else or what are your other um, concerns uh, is not only price is, Uh, can you buy me all my coffee not only the super crazy ones or the 90s Uh, so a lot of roasters share that with us as a company but of course I think if if any coffee buyers is is listening to this they can relate that a lot of people like I don't know maybe new roasters or something Uh, they just like hey can you give me a cheap coffee or or not that's too expensive or and I don't think it, I don't think they do that because they're bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe they do that because they don't realise how how incredibly hard it's to grow coffee and I think our job as a as a as a coffee buyers in my part or people that are in the in the region is to share with them why that coffee is this expensive.
0: Right, right. And I think too, the things that you talked about are things that are going to come up in this episode. So I asked you a couple of questions. Uh, Some of the questions are kind of straightforward. Like, what do you want coffee consumers to know about growing coffee in Colombia, And then some of them are a little bit tougher, like talking about times where you're worried about a crop or have you ever been photographed by a roaster who maybe claimed that you two have a relationship when you don't? Um, And then you reached out to two of the farmers that you know, and they answered those questions by sending voice memos to you. Mm -hmm. So we're going to hear those voice memos from both of the farmers. So I was wondering if you could set up the first person that we're going to hear from.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, perfect. Look, uh, the first guy is Nero Garcia. He's a super friend of mine. He's a super grower. Um, he's the most innovative grower in, in Colombia. And yeah, I, I, I told him because he sells coffee, like really good coffee at really good prices. But also he sells like a standard or normal coffee at normal standard prices. So... I think he, he is the person that can give gives us a good insight on how is everything, the pretty and the not so pretty part of coffee growing from Colombia.
2: All right, let's hear from Dero. Hola, buen día. Mi nombre es Dero García, cafecultor de Pitalito Huila, Colombia. ¿Qué quisiera que los consumidores supieran sobre el cultivo del café y que se habla poco? Uno es, la, el lo primero sería el relevo generacional, ¿no? Los hijos de caficultores ya se están ocupando en, en, en otros asuntos que no son sobre el café. Es decir, eh, una vez inician una, una educación formal, eh, sus aspiraciones no giran en torno al café, al menos que sea eh, referente al agro como, como la agronomía. Sí, eso sería lo primero. Lo segundo es que eh, cada vez es más difícil encontrar mano de obra calificada. Ya se está poniendo, se está dificultando conseguir personal para para cultivar y sobre todo en Colombia, que el café se da en laderas, no en montañas y es muy difícil mecanizar. Y tercero es que a pesar de que somos un país productor, eh, realmente nosotros como colombianos consumimos muy poco café de calidad, es decir, el café bueno se exporta y el café, pues, cómo se llama popularmente en Colombia pasillas, se consumen, sí. Entonces no hay un, no hay una, cómo se, cómo diría un, una motivación, algo que que anime a las personas a consumir el producto nacional y así ayude con los costes del caficultor en su producción.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about what Dairo said in that first part?
1: Yeah, eh, Dairo talk mostly about what does he want the the roster mostly or the importers. Uh, no. Um, I think everyone knows that copy growing is super hard. Sometimes it's not really rewarding. Um so he talks about that and how he thinks we can a uh, face that challenge nowadays. Mm-hmm. So one of the problem is that young people don't want to grow coffee. Uh, why? Because it's hard and sometimes it doesn't pay. And also, in for example, I can talk about Colombia. I don't know other origins, but agriculture is an economic sector that is not really a, interesting for young people because people in Latin America think that in agriculture, Only poor people work You know, that's like a misconception that people have here And also there is the the social context of the country That sometimes is true A lot of agriculture doesn't reward a lot So sadly, we won't have coffee growers in 50 years Because people don't want to grow coffee um, for example, in, in the average age, of coffee farmer is 55 years old in Colombia. So 20, 30 years, there won't be coffee growers. So that's really that's really hard, and that's what they to, uh, talked about, uh, Also to find workers. You know in Colombia um, most of the coffee grows in slopes different than Brazil, for example, that they they have, like, these planes and they they can uh, put machines to harvest coffee. But in Colombia, it's really hard. So to find workers that that are going to pick coffee and these slopes is, is really tricky. And sometimes if the growers don't make much money, you can imagine how much money the pickers get so it's even harder so people they don't want to, to, to pick coffee because it sometimes is is a uh, dangerous and it's, it's not well paid
0: and I think I think really quickly the idea of slopes I think it's it's easy to imagine like oh a hill or or something that's no. maybe a little no <laughs> you're talking about mountains you're talking about like 45 degree angles
1: yeah it's literally like that. So, it's really dangerous sometimes, and it's super hard, you know, because you have to pick cherries, and you also have to be, like, aware that you are not going to fall, or if you don't fall, the coffee falls, and you waste a whole day of work. So, it's really, it's, it's, it's really difficult. Um, and another thing is, and it's really interesting, is uh, that in, in producing countries, um uh, there could be a good market for a specialty coffee, you know, and growers can sell, could sell their coffee inside Colombia, for example, and they can earn much money for that. But in producing, in producing countries, there are not a lot of uh, awareness on of how coffee should taste or what is a specialty coffee or varieties like, oh, this is a pink bourbon, this is a geisha. Uh, there is none of that. And mostly people consume here is is uh, like defective beans that they are not exported. So they are sold to local uh, roasters, but huge roasters, and they roast that super like cold, and they sell that, and people put a lot of sugar in that, and that's coffee.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah I was thinking about Colombia specifically and how you can increase production within the country not that I know the answer to this by any any no. means but Colombia has a rich history of advertising you know you yeah. have um oh what's his name Juan Valdez yeah Juan Valdez comes from yeah. Colombia <laughs> and yeah, super so, and there's, you know, you have the FNC, which is the government organizing body that's mm-hmm. really very, very influential and very powerful. So there is yeah. mechanisms that could increase production in in country, um, but mm-hmm. that's just not the case. And do you think that because farmers don't often consume the high-end specialty coffee that they make because most often they're drinking sort of the defective beans, because that's what's staying inside Colombia, that there's kind of like a disconnect in values. Like, how do you think that that contributes to how people feel about what they're growing?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, in Colombia, uh, coffee growing is something really that is cultural. You know, a lot of growers grow coffee because of their father or their grandfather or their grand-grandfather used to grow coffee and they're really, really proud of it. And in Colombia, happened this, this phenomenon that a lot of people is super proud of Colombian coffee. And if you find a Colombian in, I don't know, in Russia, they will tell you Colombian coffee is the best coffee in the world, period. And maybe he or she, they haven't even tried a specialty coffee in their life. But it's, it's really cultural that I think we are born and they just put the chip on us. Like you have to like Colombian coffee and you have to be ambassador of Colombian coffee in every part of the world, even though you don't like coffee. (laughs) So, so, so yeah. And regarding also the the consuming part, I think it's mostly also education because for example, my, my grandfather was a, a, a grower. And I remember that he used to pick coffee with a ladder um, because the trees were so tall. Uh, these trees were the Bourbons, Tipicas. They were really old. And as you can imagine, the coffee from these varieties are super amazing. Um, but they they used to, to drink the defective beans. The good ones, they used to sell them. And, but it's not because they say, oh, I'm going to drink the, the, I'm going to drink the bad parts. They, they didn't think like that. They, they, they thought I have to, to sell the best one so I can sustain my family. And the defective beans is something that we are used to it. We don't know anything else. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. It's no problem. So it's more cultural that, but um, someone says, oh, I deserve the the defective beans, I don't think it's like that. Right. Uh, so when it's, I think it's, that's going to be that's going to change when they, um, when it's going to be more like information for the growers. And people don't realize that growers or growers they don't use Facebook, they don't use Instagram. So they have no idea about the new varieties, the new coffee roasters, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's in a region to to local cafes to do that job.
2: Right. You know, like,
1: hey, here is a pink bourbon. Try it. Oh, that's good. So it's more of like an educational thing, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I think that will be... It's happening right now, like super slow, but I have seen a lot of cafes with specialty coffee and a lot of stuff. And, for example, I, I, I bring my mom or my aunt and they have no idea. And they say, oh, I I used to drink Nescafe or, or instant coffee. And now they're really hooked with the specialty. My mom, I remember when I was a kid, I used to make instant coffee for my mom. And now, when I get home, I always bring, for example, coffee from this fan, a pink bourbon. It's really good. And this is a pink. And she's she starts to ask me questions about the process. Like, is that natural? is a natural, it's a wash, uh, something like that. So... She's already hooked, you know, she used to drink instant coffee, but now she asked me about variety, which is a gay shop in Bourbon. So I think it's, it's slowly it's going to happen.
0: Yeah. It seems like continuing to talk about it is, is the way to go. Mm-hmm, exactly. So in the next part we're going to hear, so we asked, uh, we asked Darrow uh, how often do roasters and coffee buyers ask him for things that aren't feasible? like only buying a small portion of his farm or asking for an experimental process that might cost a lot of money. And then we mm-hmm. asked him how he responds to requests like that. So that's what we're going to hear next.
2: Muchas veces los tostadores y los compradores de café piden café de muy buena calidad, sin tener en cuenta que hay cafés que son buenos, pero pues no de acuerdo a sus expectativas, no que buscan un café con una, una buena tasa y un buen factor de rendimiento. Entonces, cuando le hacen a uno la exigencia de un café y procesar, no comparten con uno el costo que conlleva sacar un café de calidad, el riesgo. Porque así como uno se esmera por sacar un buen café, recolectarlo bien, abonarlo bien, procesarlo bien, corre el riesgo que el café se fermente de más, corre el riesgo que el café eh, tenga un daño físico como embrión muerto. Entonces, son cosas que, que a la ligera se piden, pero, pero al final no son factibles, sobre todo cuando el comprador pues no le interesa sino la calidad. Eh, debo aclarar de que hay, hay tostadores y compradores de café que sí corren el riesgo con uno y se procesa un café de tal manera y compartimos el riesgo y te compro el café eh, salga como, como esté. Entonces no aplica para todos pero en su gran mayoría el, el tostador y, y, el, y el comprador de café no nos no están asumiendo y no saben que, 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 que cuesta, que eso nos cuesta a nosotros como caficultores inventar o tratar cafe que ellos quieran.
0: Can you tell us what Daro just explained in this part?
1: Yeah, eh, so Dairo now he, he he's a he's a well known grower. So for example, in Instagram, so some browsers approach to him. Like hey, I really like this, or maybe they try his coffees mostly in Europe um I want I want to have your coffee and I helped I used to help data with that to to talk with the with the roasters like one year ago and I told him like say yes but tell them if if you want a, 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 for example a badge of a lot you need to share the risk with me So a a lot of people now is in the trend like, Fermentations, you know, like, hey, I have this idea. You should put your coffee in, I don't know, in. Who say that? In tanks for one month, and let's see what happens. And they just says, okay, I'm going to do it, but, hey, I need you to sign something or talk with my importer or exporter to, like, make a, a like a promise that. No matter how the outcome is, you have to buy the coffee. Because if the coffee is amazing, it's a 90, of course it's going to buy it. But if not, eh, they has to sell it in the local market and it's going to lose money. So I think the fair the, um, eh, thing to do is to share everything, the share risks. For example, when the roasters tell me, Sebastian, I, I need something from Colombia, blah, blah, blah. Is it something really specific? I tell them, hey, look, we are going to do like this. Hey, I, I am friend of these growers. We can do it, but we have to show risk. You know, because we as a company that buy coffee and sell coffee, we think about our customers, roasters. We have a good customer service. We tell everything, hey yeah, let's do this and this, but also we have to be we have to have the same good customer service with the farmers. Right. Not only with the roasters. And for, that's my work here uh, in Colombia for and Dutch. Right. I have the experience with the growers and when they ask for coffee, I go to the growers and I sit with them and I tell them that. Hey, guys, we are going to do this, this, tell me how much price are you looking for? Hey, this is the quality we are looking for, blah, blah, blah. And because that's our work, you know, that's our work as a, as a coffee trader for to say that to to make all the chain that everyone is winning. And I, I have learned that uh, uh, with La Torre and Dutch here in Colombia because we are dealing with bigger volumes and it's like that. It's to sit with them, you know, and, and maybe if there is a coffee buyer listening to this, it's super rewarding just to sit and listen. What do the farmers want, need, or expect from this negotiation?
0: That was a and really good summary of, of yeah, everything that's and, happening.
1: Yeah. So, and, and for, for, I would say for me it's easier of course, because I'm from Colombia and, and it's easier for me to, to communicate here and my baby, if you are not from Colombia or you're from another country that is a consuming country and you buy coffee and you go to to region, just sit with him. You know, And, and it's really rewarding. And I think it will be a better negotiation with the farmers. And your your customer, your roster, also will be happier.
0: Right. I think one thing that you mentioned that should should be highlighted a little more is the idea of risk. Like, as you were mm-hmm. telling that story, you were saying that uh, Dero is good at asserting what he needs, saying, okay, you want me to do this experimental process? You need to sign a paper that says you're going to buy this coffee regardless of what happens to it. And then you said that a number of roasters didn't respond to that request, except maybe a a handful. And it seems like we understand that experimental processes can be valuable, but we don't know how to distribute the risk across Mm -hmm. the supply stream, which is exactly what you detailed. So let's move to that third part with Deiro, because he then talks about, times where he was maybe worried about his crop or how to communicate that with a potential buyer. So that's what we're going to hear next.
2: En la cafecultura hay momentos donde uno se se preocupa mucho por la cosecha, sobre todo por las plagas, ¿no? Las plagas, el manejo, es algo que que en Colombia no no se habla mucho, es como un plan of, de 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 trabajo donde se indique cuándo son los tiempos de abonada, que se planifique todo, ¿no? Creo que en torno al café, es el 90% del, de los caficultores están desinformados sobre ese manejo. Entonces al estar de, desinformado, no saber manejar su cultivo como tal, se, se compromete la cosecha, sí, se, se pone en riesgo la cosecha. Cuando se pone en riesgo la cosecha, el, el comprador de café eh, sencillamente eh, no le interesa qué suceda. ¿no? Si no llevas café... Si no llevo café, pues no no me va a pagar nada, sí. Y no hay un como un, una entidad que soporte una pérdida. Es decir, un año no coseché y, y me va a suministrar la cantidad de dinero que necesito para solventarme ese año para el siguiente año. Eh, 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 en este caso no se ve, no se ha visto eso. No sé si algunos colegas caficultores eh, lo, lo hayan sabido manejar, pero pero cada uno debe preocuparse por su cosecha y, y el comprador no le interesa o hace caso omiso a entrego café o no entrego.
0: So can you talk about what Daryl is explaining in this part?
1: Yeah, uh, here uh, they are talking about farm management, and sadly in Colombia, um, like a huge part of growers, they don't have this a uh, skill of management because at the end. Coffee growing is a business. And as a business, the coffee grower should have a profit to live for him, her, and the family. So, do the social context of Colombia, a lot of coffee growers, eh, they didn't go to school, they didn't go to university. Eh, they, some, some of them, they don't know how to read or write. So, at the end, if you... If you are producing any product, you should know what are the costs of the product and then you are going to sell it and then you will know how much is the profit. But a lot of people, they, they don't do that. And they don't do that, it's not because they don't want to, it's because they, they, they don't know. And I think that's super, super important and that's something that, actually people don't, don't talk about, you know, people talk about price, 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 and everything. And yeah, but what if you pay a super high price, but the management is so poor at the farm that the cost of production is super high as well. So it doesn't matter if you pay a really high price. So I think um, this is super important that data say, because he's a really good manager at his farm and sometimes says, I need to sell my coffee at this price so I can have uh, 10% of profit. Uh, And he's the only one that I have heard that he talks like that in the coffee growing, you know, because a, a lot of people, they don't know, you know, they are really happy. Oh, my, my coffee is an 87 and it was super expensive. Yeah, but to do this coffee, this grower had to buy a lot of tanks. He had to, he had to, he got a lot of costs Mm -hmm. and he or she is not really put that in the formula.
0: Yeah, I think that when I think about the conversations that I've had with roasters about coffee prices, it is a very solution oriented conversation that focuses on roasters. But what you're saying is that we need to like it like price doesn't even matter if you're paying $6 per pound for coffee but your cost of production is 650 because the management of your farm isn't set up appropriately. Like exactly. the, these solutions don't matter at all and they also very much focus on the roasters and the people on one end of the supply stream versus focusing on the farmers and what they can do to maximize their profits, which is really interesting.
1: Exactly. And yeah, I think I haven't heard anyone talking about it because that's something really, sometimes it's really personal to talk about money. Right. And, but we should, you know, and, and maybe the, the buyer should, should ask that with respect, of course. And what are your costs of production? For example, $6 per pound is a super price. Um, but if you're not making money with that price, probably there is a problem at the farm.
0: Right. So the next question we ask is a little bit, changing the topic a little bit, but we talk about photography and the way that roasters portray their relationships to farmers. So dato is going to talk a little bit about that, which you'll hear right now.
2: Como caficultor colombiano, eh, sé mucho que hay compradores de café que, que le toman fotos a uno en la finca y, y dicen que tiene una relación con uno, pero realmente es, es falsa. no Solamente es como para hacer publicidad, pero no, realmente no contribuyen a, 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 al crecimiento del, del caficultor a menos que le compren el café a muy buen precio. que En otras palabras, lo que busca uno un precio un precio... Eh, bueno como se dice popularmente para cubrir costos y que quede algo para pues a sí mismo ir invirtiéndole en la misma finca entonces eh, hay gran desconfianza en el gremio cafetero por esos por esos tostadores o esos compradores de café que llegan a la finca se toman la foto con el caficultor y consiguen el café por otra parte y lo venden diciendo que es de, de determinado caficultor entonces eh,
0: So photography is a big deal, especially the way that roasters portray their relationships to farmers. If you go into, you know, I I don't want to call out any coffee shops specifically, but if you go to a number of coffee shops, you'll see, you know, pictures of white people and farmers and saying, like, look at this relationship we have. And Dero pretty much says, like, a lot of these could be false. Like, maybe I don't have a relationship with these folks. So I was wondering if you talk a little bit about what data was talking about in this clip.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and it happened to me as well. And I think it happened to a lot of growers. And yeah, you know, a, as, as, as you say, it's not to point fingers to businesses or something like that, because I think everyone knows when they are doing something good or bad. Uh, but yeah, you know, social media has created like a false word that everything is pretty and everything is perfect and everything, everyone is happy. And sometimes, out of mostly roasters or people in the business go and take the photo or the picture and it's not true, you know, but I think a... Uh, That's not the real issue because they can do it, you know, it's a free word, but as a consumer or maybe if you're a roaster and you want to know more about, for example, an import company, you should, you know, there is a huge database called internet that you can look for things and investigate for yourself oh, okay, so this guy has here this picture with Dado, eh, and Dado's on Instagram. Why don't you ask Dado? Mm-hmm. Ask Dado, hey, look, this guy, he buy from you? Yes or not? Yes, okay, good. No, okay, so maybe that's not a good business to buy from. Mm, so, it's, it's mostly that. You no, know? I don't think Dado or any grower is going to, to fight with a roster like, hey, take down the picture or Nah, it's, it's too much work, and sometimes it's free PR for data, eh, but maybe it has to say a lot about that business. And so I think it's mostly on the consumer part to to make like a, a, a decision based on information or facts.
0: Right. So the next question we ask, which is pretty much an impossible question to answer is what is a good price for coffee? And we talked a little bit about how a lot of that depends on farm management and the way that you break down expenses on your own farm. Um, so data goes a little bit into that, but as we mentioned, there's really no one answer. So let's hear from data and then we'll talk a little bit about it.
2: Con respecto a, um, ¿cuál es un buen precio para el café? Creería que si tengo un cliente, un tostador o un comprador de café, sería interesante fijar un precio independientemente la calidad que entregue, ¿no? Eh, como caficultor cumpliría con el aspecto físico un café de calidad, pero de tasa ya ya debería haber un precio base, ¿no? Que, que cubra mi, mis costos. Si la tasa si la taza es alta, si la calidad es alta, entonces que haya una bonificación. Pero más que todo sería una base, una base que, que fuera, o sea, por encima de mis costos, como caficultor debo tener mis costos claros, cuánto me cuesta producir una carga y que sobre esos costos haya una ganancia, creo que sería una, una buena base para definir un precio tanto por ca- calidad, digamos, de un café de taza limpia como por taza, una, un taza 85, 86 que sería especiales. Eh, cuando alguien me plantea un mal precio, no, realmente no no es tanto de que haya un mal precio porque pues uno busca busca opciones de de siempre vender a a mejor precio su café, entonces no no es algo que se tome de mala manera, solo que no no se podría vender en este caso a a, a, ese, a ese precio que, que que se llamaría malo porque no no sería conveniente.
0: Something that Dato mentions too is that there's this idea of like what quality is. So he mentions this like range, like the 84, 85 Mm
2: -hmm.
0: range, which is technically still specialty. Technically, not technically is specialty is delicious, Mm -hmm. but that a lot of price comes from those, the scoring numbers. Like what does this coffee score? And it's still, and I would imagine that for a lot of coffee roasters, like that coffee still has a ton of value when you sell it to consumers, but then you're negotiating these prices based on that cup score at the Mm -hmm. farm, which is a really interesting, like, Yeah. yeah, it's a weird breakdown because we would never sell coffee to consumers based on, oh, this is an 85, this is an 84. But we do negotiate price with farmers based on those numbers.
1: Yeah, tricky. You know, that's super, super tricky. Eh, because that's a rule, you know, in Colombia, that's a rule when when growers go to sell their coffee, and and that's why I'm I'm I'm, I'm telling you about how or why the, the 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 coffee growers should do the research. For example, there is a coffee that is super fruity, eh, and I go to exporter A exporter A really like the fruity ones and he or she gives an 87 but I go to exporter B exporter B they don't like the fruity ones they like they I don't know citric ones and they're going to give an 84 so I always sold that to growers like look for the exporter or the market that Suits better for your coffee, and that's their work. They have to do that. That's their job. Yeah. So go, just go and sell it to exporter A. That's it. You know. And if if I am selling to, I don't know, China, that they they will have different a a preference than Europe. There is this guy. He's called Reynel from Willa a super, super nice guy. And he always told me, Sebastian, I don't know why my coffee is always 84 at the other export company. Always, 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 always. And I said, hey, come come and cup with me. And maybe I can tell you why. We cupped. And his coffee was like the typical Wheeler profile. Sugar cane, super sweet. Good coffee. But usually that's an 84 at the export company that he used to sell. And I told him that, look, it's not because they're bad or because they are lying to you, it's because of this. So now he understands and now he was looking at their buyer. You know, and when you're honest with people and you explain everything to them, they can make better decisions for their business.
0: I think that's a really good point. I think we tend to look at numbers like that, like 84, 85 is very fixed. Like, oh, this mm-hmm. coffee is an 84, therefore it is an 84. Like, there's no question about it. But the example exactly. that you gave is saying that these numbers are based on preferences. There are certain mm-hmm. markets that have certain, like, maybe a roaster is looking for a specific coffee, or maybe this importer works with a market that's looking for these profiles. So it's not mm-hmm. so much about... The quality being a fixed number, but rather Mm -hmm. as an importer, as somebody who is selling coffee or as an exporter, excuse me, as somebody who's selling coffee to roasters, it's your job to almost find farmers who are growing coffees that match the needs of a specific roaster.
1: Exactly. That's it. Look, that happened to me once, a I got a pink bourbon. It was super fermented. I didn't like it. But there was someone from Asia, I think from Malaysia, and they gave it 90. (laughs) And I was like, wow. Okay. So I I, I sold them as a 90 points, and I wasn't giving it like 82 points. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's my preference, you know, and that can't. That shouldn't, how do you say that, a lose, they the, the make you lose the goal that while you are there, like you are trying to sell the coffee at the best customer possible. And that one was the best. So the grower was really happy, but I told the grower, look, I think this could this be like once in a year. Right. So don't do that. Often because most of the, the buyers don't like that, that note. And yeah, now you, you sell it really good, but I don't know in the future, man. So maybe we can change the, the processing or something like that.
0: So the last thing we asked Deiro is what do we want? What does he want people to know about growing coffee in Colombia specifically? So that's what we're going to hear next.
2: Algo específico del cultivo de café, la venta de café en Colombia, que quiero destacar es que el caficultor y todo el gremio que, que trabaja con café, sean recolectores, dueños de fincas, eh, sean catadores, tostadores, eh, todo el gremio creo que eh, se trabaja por pasión, sí. se debe tener en cuenta que se debe producir, pero los que trabajan con café son personas apasionadas, que, que, que en el medio del café se, se construyen grandes amistades, y es algo positivo que el café trae a una región a una zona y sobre todo a Colombia por ser conocida por por un café de calidad creo que eso es importante que cuando uno comparte un café una de las personas que que están en torno a él.
0: So what did Dero say in this part?
1: Okay, I think Dero said that eh, the growing coffee in Colombia is, as I told you, like cultural, you know, people most of the people are really passionate about growing coffee and they're really proud of it. And when you say, when you tell them you're a a coffee grower and they say, yeah, I am. I'm a Colombian coffee grower. Colombian coffee is the best in the world. They're really proud of it. And I think that helps to maintain the, the, the coffee growing areas that are really big in Colombia. But... I think it would be better and it would be more if if, if it were a more profitable business. So he says that hey mm, that beside the, the, the profit and it's a good day, that it should be a good business that people here in Colombia should drink good coffee, you know, because that really gives you like a boost of confidence when you, or when the, when the grower grows and processes a really good coffee and you drink it and you tell him or her, Hey, what this is a really good coffee. They feel proud of it and they will keep going. But as I told you, it would be the best if it were more profitable. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, that's what, they told told him in, in this in this last audio.
0: Do you agree with him?
1: Sometimes, you know, it's I. To be honest, I I was a farmer, a farmer. I I used to grow with my cousin bond a lot of weird varieties. Uh, but I started working uh, in the coffee trading. And it was super hard, super, super hard. And, you know, like, I think, well, I'm not that passionate about growing coffee. You know, I really like processing, cupping, and everything. But growing coffee, for me, was really hard. And that's why uh, I have, like, the, this huge admiration for growers. And that's why I do what I do and when I do it. I always, uh, like, talk and sit with them because I know how hard it is. And, 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 and I want to, to like, to, to get the best for them when I buy coffee from them. But I think uh, we need more improvement, as I told you, like, in the management. A, and more education on how or why a coffee is good, so the growers can make better decisions when when it comes to sell their coffee. I think we are went a long way to go to to educate more about that. But when we achieve that, I think coffee growing could be one of the best business around.
0: That was my conversation with Sebastián Diácono, breaking down insights from Dero Garcia. I know in the intro that I mentioned that we talked to two farmers, and you just heard from one. This is actually the first of a two-part episode, and you can listen to the second episode right now. It's live in your feed, so go get it. Thanks again to Giovanni for making this episode possible. And if you want to learn more, give Sebastián a follow on Twitter. He's at... Seb, S-E-B, Diacono D-I-A-C-O-N-O, all one word. He's more than happy to hear your responses and answer your questions. Thanks again, and we'll see you in part two of this episode.